Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Gibbs Dairy Regional Extension Officer Rory McDonnell and this week I have a two-part podcast featuring Dr. Stephanie Bullen, a local Gibson vet and specialist in milk quality, and later on Dairy Australia's Joe Coombe, who will chat to us about antibiotic resistance on dairy farms. First this week, with many farmers around the country currently starting to dry off spring calving cows, I caught up with Steph Bullen and started off by asking her just how important it is to get the drying off procedure done correctly. This period in particular is really important for setting the cow up um, for her best chance for the following lactation, both in terms of milk production as well as um, in terms of her cell count and mastitis control. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, a lot of farmers would have uh, various questions as to the initial things that you need to think about uh, when drying off. Um, Obviously for spring calvers they're going to be relatively low milk yield as they get to the end of lactation in most cases. But how important is the volume of milk that the cow is producing in, in those weeks and leading up to dry off and obviously on that, that day of dry off? The volume that the cows are producing is really important in terms of getting the most out of the dry period um, and particularly your dry cow therapy. Uh, so we like to aim to have cows producing between 5 and 12 litres um, at the time of dry off. Um, when the volume starts to drop below uh, 7 litres, uh, the alveolar cells up in the top of the udder start to shut down and close yeah. off. So if we put dry cow therapy into those cows, um, there's a risk that it won't get as good a distribution up into the top of the udder and it won't be as effective, particularly yeah. if there's existing infections there. The other thing is once cows start producing less than 7 litres is they're trying to perform a keratin plug on the end of the teat. Yeah. Um, and it, as we continue to milk those cows, we keep stripping out that keratin plug um, the keratin plug is one of the most important things to protect the cow over the dry period um, from getting new infections. Yeah, it's almost um, like a natural teat seal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, we don't want our cows to be too low in production, A, because um, we're potentially increasing the risk of mastitis over the dry period if we don't get good um, keratin plug formation. Yep. Uh, but the other thing is if we're spending sort of 10 to $30 on dry cow therapy, we want to make sure that it's doing its job and able to get up into those to the top parts of the udder where yep. it um, really needs to work well. Yeah. And what are the issues if you have, like a lot of farmers might have high producing cows that could still be doing over 20 litres in a week or two before dry off. Um, what might be some of the strategies that farmers could have to reduce that milk yield down to that, that 5 to 12 litre kind of range that you described? And are there any negative effects of drying them off higher than higher than that if you can't get them down? Yeah, it's a great question, Rory. I, I suppose one of the things that um, you know we try and encourage is, is making sure that you've got a, a plan um, and you start planning for your dry off sort of well in advance of that actually happening. Um, it's a good idea to identify those cows that you think might be producing more than 12 litres and particularly um, those cows that are very high producing. It's not uncommon to have cows still producing 20 plus litres at the time of dry off. Um, the, the, it, the reason why it's a problem if they're producing too much um, milk is that they can potentially um, uh, lose that keratin plug and they yep. run milk, which increases their risk of So that's mastitis. when you see that leaking after you That's right, off. yeah, which is a really high risk for mastitis. So yep. that's why it's important to get their volume down before you stop milking them. Now, the best strategy to do that um, is uh, via dietary manipulation. Yep. So um, the recommendation is at least a week ahead of when you want to dry off those cows identifying those high producing cows 
continue to milk them twice a day um, if that's usual system or once a day if, if that's what you normally do, but yeah. don't change the milking frequency and then yeah. uh, cut out any of the highly um, high energy density feeds that um, are going into those cows. So uh, dropping out their grain and potentially cutting back their yeah. pasture and putting them onto hay. Um, if yeah, so finding a, a, grass. a lower energy feed that you might have on the farm yeah. to just get the get that yield down. Yeah, and, that's and right. Um, so for most cows, that'll take um, a week at least, but certainly for those very high producing cows, it may even take up to two weeks before the plan dry off. Um, yeah. So that's that's the best um, way to reduce it and, and has actually been shown um, in scientific studies to be more effective than altering the, the milking yeah. frequency. So when you say altering the milking frequency, I guess you'd hear of some farmers that might say, I'm only going to milk them every second day. Uh, a week or two before dry off but you uh, you were saying earlier you wouldn't recommend that yeah that's right Rory so we do hear about that um, as a relatively common practice um, certainly uh, alternate day milking uh, isn't is a really high risk for milking uh, because every uh, sorry really high risk for mastitis um, the reason being is that we we strip out that keratin plug that's trying yeah. to form um, and obviously leaving milk sitting in the udder um, without sort of flushing it out is yeah. a high risk for, for bacterial growth um, once a day milking is not as high a risk as skip day milking, uh, but yes. certainly um, the the best practice um, is to is to not alter the milking frequency at all. And certainly, yeah. um, there's been some research out of New Zealand that's shown that the dietary modification, as I said, is more effective than alternate day milking yeah. um, in terms of getting the best result and minimising any risk of new infections um, around the time of drying off. Okay, antibiotic use at dry off um, is probably pretty common in most farms uh, nowadays um, people are treating their cows with, with antibiotics before they dry them off um, could you comment briefly on that maybe uh, why people do that uh, basis for and perhaps selective versus blanket dry cow therapy which is you can describe what selective is and, and why people might go down that route as well dry antibiotic dry cow therapy is, is commonly used um, and the reasons for using it is twofold um, the first is to cure any existing infections that the cow may have picked up during lactation um, so whether that's um, whether she's got a high cell count that's persisted throughout the lactation or whether she's had clinical mastitis during that lactation the dry cow therapy is is the most effective way of, of curing those infections yeah. um, and gives us the best chance. And depending on the bugs that are present um, in the udder at the time, um, we expect sort of 50 to 100% of those infections to be cured over the yeah. dry, dry um, period. But the other reason for using antibiotic dry cow therapy and probably something that um, uh, is certainly undergoing a fair bit of review at the moment um, is to prevent new infections yeah. over the dry period. Um, so uh, around one in five cows will um, will get a new untreated cows will get yeah. an infection over the dry dry period, and yeah. certainly that number is reduced dramatically um, when antibiotic dry cow therapy yeah. is used yeah. as a preventative strategy. Um, but more recently, we've got uh, products such as internal teat sealants, um, yeah. which can can um, you know provide them. that benefit. Yeah, in terms of protecting from new infections. Yeah. Um, in the absence of needing to use antibiotics. Yeah, I see. And um, then when we talk about um, selective dry cow therapy, that's probably a more recent phenomenon that's come into the industry. Um, briefly, the reasons for that and, and why a farmer, in, in what circumstances might a farmer consider that approach? Yeah, good question. So um, just to differentiate between blanket and selective or part herd dry 
dry cow therapy. So um, blanket dry cow therapy is when every cow in the herd, uh, heifers, cows, um, all, all animals um, receive antibiotic dry cow therapy um, with or without internal teat sealants. Selective dry cow therapy um, is where only part of the herd will receive um, dry cow, antibiotic dry yep. cow therapy. Um, but with selective dry cow therapy, one of the um, important considerations is whether the cows that are not receiving antibiotics will still um, receive internal teat sealants. And yeah. that's something that we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so particularly with the emphasis on reducing um, our antimicrobial use um, in the dairy industry, selective dry cow therapy is something that we're putting more and more focus on. Yeah. Um, in terms of whether it's suitable for your herd, uh, a couple of things that need to be considered. One um, is your bulk milk cell count for the year. So if you've had a, a bulk milk cell count of below 250,000 um, for at least the last six months, if not the last 12 months, yeah. um, it is potentially something worth considering. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we do need if we are considering selective dry cow therapy is um, a herd test um, result. Yeah. At least one within the, the 80 days before drying off. Um, so that could be just a single spot test. Yeah. Um, but ideally to get the, the most accurate um, and most reliable results out of our selective dry cow therapy, yeah. um, herd testing throughout the year uh, certainly does make um, yeah. life easier. And I guess that's quite important. I think I heard you stress that at a, at a discussion group recently. Um, if you don't do any herd testing, then you really, it's very difficult to do selective dry cow therapy because you just right, don't know right. which cows are, can you can you selectively pick not to give the antibiotics? Yeah, that's right, Rory. So if we don't have any herd test data, as I said, whether that is a single spot test or, or ongoing herd testing data, um, yeah, we don't know who yeah. those subclinically infected cows are. Um, we're not giving them the best chance of curing over the yeah. dry period. And certainly in a lot of herds I work with um, that have applied selective dry cow therapy um, without that data, that they do run into problems with their bulk milk cell count in the yeah. following lactation. Yeah, yeah, which is obviously something we want to avoid uh, at all costs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, just as a matter of interest, would you find many farms in your experience, obviously I know you deal with a lot of farms uh, around the, the, the Victorian region, that have that don't do any um, antibiotic treatment or, or at, at dry off or even use teat seal or anything, that just yeah. dry the cows off and, and let them off without any... Yeah, we do. It's not it's not common, Rory. So yeah. we don't see it. Uh, we don't see it all. Yeah, as I said, um, altogether that commonly. Um, but yeah. there are herds that do it, and there are herds that do it quite successfully. Yeah. Um, the important consideration there is um, is if we aren't going to use any form of internal teat sealant or antibiotic dry yeah. cow therapy, that all our other mastitis control parameters are, are really yeah. um, top shelf. So having being able to maintain a very low um, bulk milk cell count, being able to low um, maintain a low number of clinical cases, yeah. um, and then particularly managing those cows around the time of dry off um, if, if no products are getting used, um, making sure that we, we do maintain that regular milking frequency and the sudden abrupt um, yeah. you know, discontinuation of milking. Um, and the other thing is particularly how we manage those cows around the time of draft, making sure they go into a clean paddock um, yeah. with not much fecal contamination. Um, then they don't have access to, to water or mud or anything like that. Yeah. And then managing them closely um, around calving time. So just an example of something that works quite well is, is um, teat spraying cows yeah. um, daily in the, the week or two or three leading up to calving um, okay, just yeah. to reduce the number of bacteria on those teats. Yeah. Um, all those things are really important. Um, they're, they're important if you're using teat sealants and antibiotics, um, but even more even so more if you're considering if you're not, not using any, yeah. anything. Yeah. 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 yeah, okay. And um, I guess some farmers will say, oh, that will may talk about the cost of, of teat sealant and antibiotic use, but if you can even save a couple of mastitis cases, 
in the following lactation, you're going to probably get your money back in for fairly quickly because, as as you heard you say as well before, one case of clinical mastitis is extremely expensive on on a normal dairy farm. Yeah, I, I'm a big advocate, Rory, of uh, not applying things for the sake of applying yeah. them. Um, so particularly when you're thinking about considering um, uh, using teat sealant, whether that's across your whole herd or in um, in heifers, so maiden heifers yeah. before they calve. That's a good um, question. A, yeah, a yeah. couple of things to consider um, is what sort of mastitis that you're getting in your herd. So if you're getting more than five cases per hundred cows calved um, at, yeah. uh, in the fourteen days after after calving, um, then certainly teat sealant is something yeah. that you should consider. Um, however, if, if you have very low levels of mastitis around calving time, uh, if you have very low levels of mastitis through the dry period, um, you have, very, as I said, very good control of, of your other milk quality parameters, yeah. such as your bulk milk cell count, um, yeah, then potentially you may not need to use teat sealant and, and certainly not yeah. every herd needs to use them. Um, what I would suggest is having a conversation with your vet. Um, yeah. Usually um, have, make, keeping good records of your mastitis cases around calving yeah. um, is, is important to help you make that decision. Uh, and also, if you can, uh, getting a bit of an idea of, of what bacteria yeah. um, uh, you've got in your herd because certainly environmental mastitis um, we, we handle quite differently to, to something yeah. like contagious mastitis. So I guess on that, you mentioned that there are no of different types of bacteria yep. and uh, how would a farmer detect those those different types of bacteria I know that you mentioned environmental bacteria and then there's other types as well um, how, how would a farmer know which one is affecting an individual cow in his herds? So typically we use culturing um, largely to make herd level decisions rather than yeah. individual cow decisions. You can use it for individual cow decisions, yeah. but in the context of this discussion, um, knowing what you've got in your herd is, is useful. Um, very easy to do um, before treating cows um, with clinical mastitis, uh, sterilizing the teat end um, and collecting a sample and freezing it. Um, and yeah. when you've got a batch of five to 10 samples, um, then submitting them for culture. Um, yeah. That'll tell you what's happening with your clinical cases. Um, and then uh, the other thing that's useful to do if you do have some herd recording data available um, is to collect cultures from uh, those high cell those count high cows. Those high cell count cows. Yeah, it's really, as we call them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's really easy to do. Um, so obviously you can do that through your local vet um, and lots of the milk processors offer um, yeah. milk culturing as well. So have a chat to your vet, have a chat to your field officer um, and just see what's available. Yeah. Because um, it will help you to make some some better decisions about what's most appropriate, particularly in this year where where costs are, are fairly tight. Yeah, um, exactly. Making yeah. sure that you know the the plan of attack that you've got um, for your own herd is is what's required. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you you're doing that the best okay. best you can. Yeah. Um. I guess we'll move on briefly to the actual the technical aspects of of the drying off process. Then, um, hygiene I know is important, but maybe we could just just talk us through the kind of best practice that a farmer should do on the day of dry off. So probably the key message, Rory, if there's nothing else I can uh, put out there um, to the yeah. podcast listeners, is is water is is not good. Um, yeah. So um, wherever you can uh, minimise water contact with your hands, with the dry cow tubes, um, or yeah. internal teat sealant tubes, um, and the cow's teats is really important. So um, my suggestion for, for getting the best out of your dry off is to draft those cows out a milking or two, or, or if you've been doing nutritional restriction, they will already be drafted yeah. out into a separate group. And bringing them in either at the end of milking um, in the morning after you've had a wash up yep. or um, before afternoon milking. Um, when the dairy's clean. Yeah. When the dairy's clean. Yeah. Yep. Milk them out because we want to dry, put the dry cow tubes in as soon yep. as possible after milking. Milk them out 
Um, so milk the mouth fully, uh, like milk them out fully. Yes, don't longer they? than nor- than you might normally do. Yeah. Um, uh, no, as you would normally, you but them, yeah. but um, don't leave any milk um, yeah. on the udder. Uh, we um, we want to make sure that um, that we're not potentially introducing any bugs. So a common, I, I guess, common conception um, conception is not the right word. We'll misconception. Misconception. Yeah. Common misconception. Uh, is that um, because we're putting antibiotics in there that you know there's, we can't cause any new infections? Um, yeah. But one of the things that's really important to know is that the antibiotic that is in dry cow therapy is quite specific um, yeah. for the most common mastitis causing bacteria. Um, but there are a couple of bugs, one being uh, Pseudomonas, which lives in mud and water, yeah. um, that our antibiotic uh, dry cow therapy doesn't cure okay. um, and we can potentially introduce that on the end of it. So you really tubes. don't want wet a wet odor when you're when you're working with these dry cut Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. So if we've got a dirty udder um, and we need to wash it, uh, just making sure that we're using a paper towel to dry, dry the teats, it. yeah, before um, before the um, before we put the tubes in. Yeah. Um, using either um, the alcohol wipes that come with dry cow therapy or making up our own cotton ball yep. um, wipes, alcohol uh, methylated spirits um, cotton ball wipes. Yeah, I heard you mention that recently as another yep. kind of trick. Dis- yeah, so yep. disinfecting the teat end. So we're not too worried about the teat barrel, but certainly the teat end where we're actually putting the tube in. We yep. want to give that a really good scrub until the either the wipes or the cotton balls um, come away clean. Um, and then inserting the tube, a um, couple of other tips is you don't need to insert the tube the whole way in. So just yep. the tip of the tube is fine. Um, massage the antibiotic up into the, up the teat and up into the udder. Yep. And then when, if we are using an internal teat sealant, pinching off the top of the teat, um, and only just inserting as much teat sealant yeah. as is required. That's probably so. quite important that you don't massage the teat sealant up in as well into the udder. Yeah, that's right. It's Rory. quite different to the antibiotic. That's you right. You just want that to yes. sit in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something else, um, particularly as the mornings are starting to get a bit colder, um, we all know that the tubes can get a bit tricky to yep. um, insert when, when they're cold. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I have seen on farm, which I would really strongly discourage, is, is putting those tubes into, a, into warm water. Yeah. Um, as I said, water is, is bad yeah. um, when it comes to, to anything to do with drying off. So one of the suggestions I have is if you've got an old bucket, so um, you know an old dry cow bucket, yeah. putting um, sort of filling it up about one third with warm water yep. uh, and then sitting the new dry cow bucket with the tubes on top of it so that you're warming the, warming the tubes um, without actually wetting the, the tubes. Um, if you drop a tube, if a cow hits the tube with her tail, um, with the cap off, yeah. um, uh, if it brushes her leg, just throw it out. Throw it out, um, yeah. Yeah, so particularly... That's probably a temptation for a lot of people to say, oh, it's it's 10 or 12 bucks or whatever, I don't want to throw it away. Yeah. But, but, but it's important to not take a shortcut in that in that regard. Yeah, that's right, Rory. Um, certainly, um, we have seen, particularly that Pseudomonas um, bacteria yeah. that I have mentioned, um, as I said, it doesn't... The, the antibiotic in the dry cow therapy doesn't work against it um, and it can be potentially fatal and certainly yeah. there have been instances in Gippsland where uh, cows have been lost, um, have died yeah. following dry off um, because of, of pseudomonas contamination. Introduction of it. Yeah, that's so that's really important to get yeah. that right. And I guess that, that warm water trick that you mentioned as well that you've seen on a lot of farms, that's pl- particularly applicable in the winter time in May, in say the month of June or whatever if you're drying off and it's particularly cold morning or, yeah. or, or whatever, which is... Uh, which is good advice as well. The gloves, obviously, are yep. pretty important to, to Yeah, gloves. gloves are important um, for two reasons. One uh, is so that you don't you know, um, yep. contaminate the tubes at all. Um, the other reason is if you do get a bit of um, shit and mud on your hand, a poo and or, uh, feces right. or mud on your, on your hands, 
um, that you they're pretty easy to wash yep. and you're not potentially going to contaminate the cows. Again, with your gloves, just making sure that they're dry. So if you do wash your gloves, uh, just have a, a hand towel um, or some paper towel handy so that yep. you can keep your hands dry. Yeah, and um, uh, I think you've probably covered a lot of the... Um, um, the uh, the technical do you do in each teeth individually with the sealant the dry cow therapy and the sealant or do, would you recommend going around all four and then coming back around all four with the teeth sealant yeah i think that probably comes down to personal preference yeah. a bit Rui. um but uh, the way that I prefer to do it is starting with the front right quarter, um, yep. disinfect it, um, infuse the dry cow therapy, infuse the teat seal, yep. um, and then move to the move. left front. Um, and then that way you're not potentially um, rubbing your arm um, up against those teats. Yep. And then as soon as you're done applying teat spray to, to make sure that you're um, either teat spray or teat dip, whatever you're using, yep. uh, just to um, reduce any bacteria that may still yep. be on that, those teat ends. And the first couple of hours post-dry off are quite important, aren't they? Getting them on a on a on an area of ground that's pretty clean and they're not that they're not doing too much movement or under too much stress. Yeah, yep, that's right, Rory. So uh, just making sure that you've got a clean paddock. Don't leave them standing around on the yard or on the track. Um, the two hours post drying off or post milking generally yeah. is really important because we haven't got a good seal on that teat canal. Yeah. Uh, so making sure that they're in a clean environment um, during that period is important. And then for that the keratin plug takes about two weeks to form. Yeah. Um, so that two weeks post-drying off is really important um, in terms of where, where you put those cows, yeah. making sure that you, you're prioritising the, the cleanest, driest paddock for your dry cows. Um, what would you do if you were a farmer, say, that saw a couple of cows leaking after you dried them off and applied the teat seal and the, and the teat seal? And I'm sure it happens commonly enough. What's the best strategy to deal with those animals that leave them? Bring them back in. Yeah, it's a tr that's a really tricky one, Rory, and yeah. I think it probably depends on individual cows. Um, I suppose um, one of my thoughts is, um, yeah, see, it's a really complicated question yeah. to answer on a podcast because it'll yeah. be a bit of a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. Um, so if you are noticing that cows are leaking after drying off, uh, probably one of the things just to consider going forward is are you getting that production volume down enough? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, leading up to drying them off and then um are you inf if you're using teat sealants are you infusing them correctly are you yeah. pinching off the top of the teat um one of the things to remember is that the teat sealants aren't like super glue they're they're a sort of quite a soft gel that sits yeah. in the teat and so they are quite prone it, it is quite prone to being knocked out of the udder so if you're uh, sorry out of the teat canal yeah so if you are walking those cows long distances, um, if you're transporting them, if they are pushing each other around, there is the opportunity to dislodge that teat seal. Um, so from an individual cow basis, probably best to have a chat to your vet about what yeah, to do. Yeah. Um, uh, but going forward, just um, reassessing. Trying to avoid that problem. Yeah, reassessing yeah. how you're managing the, the, you know, the next batch of cows yeah, around yeah. the time of drying off so that you're yeah. minimising any um, dislodged dislodging yep. of the teat sealant and another thing i've heard you say as well that's quite important is that not have too many done on the one day you know if you're starting to get a bit tired of it or if you've got bitten off more than you can chew in a particular morning you start taking shortcuts um, do you want to comment on that yeah that's right Rory. so um certainly i've had uh, done my fair share of drying off cows and and we know that it is um, a fairly taxing job at times uh so i guess one of my key messages is um is don't rush don't rush the job um 
make sure you, you're doing just as many cows as, yeah. as you can for the day. So the, the rough guideline is around 20 cows per person um, is a good number before yeah. you start getting sick of it. But if you're having a bad day um, and you're only halfway through and, and you're finding that the cows are stomping and, and you're you know um, getting flustered, yeah. leave them, do them the next day yeah. Um, yeah. rather than rushing the job. Because as I said, it's one of the most important um, control points we've got for yeah. mastitis for the next lactation. Um, and if we rush it... Um, uh, you know, we're not yeah. going to get as good results. Exactly, yeah. um, and particularly given that dry cow therapy is a fairly expensive investment, uh, we want to make sure yeah. that we're optimising um, the money that we spend. Yeah, no, that's really good, Steph. Uh, one final point that might be worth uh, considering is um, the withhold periods on some of the dry cow products that are out there. Um, is that something that's important to consider as well? Obviously, it depends on how long your cows are dried off. Or, um, do you want to comment on that as well? Yeah, I can, Marie. So... I mean, for me, the withhold periods, um, you know, they're, they're very relevant, um, but in terms of making sure that we're giving that cow the best opportunity, the best recovery period, the minimum dry period really should be no less than six weeks, six yeah. to eight weeks. Um, so there are some products that have got longer withholds than six weeks, yeah. um, and we do need to be very careful of those. The most common commonly used products tend to be sort of 35-day yeah. um, withholding periods, so less than that six weeks. Um the, I guess the main thing is to make sure that we're um, that we are a giving the cows a long enough period to recuperate, um, and mm. b that we're not potentially running the risk of cows calving within their minimum dry yep. period um, for those dry cow products. Um, if that happens, have a chat to your vet or your field officer yeah. um, about how to manage those. You can cows. get tests on the milk from in the next lactation, the early milk, to make sure that it doesn't doesn't have residues. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yep. So all all milk processes um, do antibody residue testing, yep. which is good practice. Um, you know, probably generally in terms of just making sure that you know all your um your controls are, are working. Yeah. Um, but if you are finding that you've got a, a large number of cows calving within their minimum dry period, um, potentially worth um just reassessing. Um, your pregnancy testing, making sure yeah. you've got good early um, preg test data. So um, less than four months of pregnancy is the best time to do your pregnancy to testing. So that calving data. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Once you get after after about four months. Um, okay. Uh, after about four months of gestation, the pregnancy test um, it, it's much harder to get really accurate calving yeah. dates from. Well, that's that. interesting. Yeah. 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 So, Steph, uh, just a qu quick question on um, uh, this thing that uh, thing I heard you speak about recently, um, a homemade recipe for teat wipes. Uh, do you want to comment on what that might be? That's Yeah, sure, Rui. So um, I've, I've got a little uh, preference, I suppose, for um, what we actually use to disinfect the teat ends. Um, and yep. in my experience, uh, using the, the cotton balls, so um, just the, the usual cotton ball uh, that you get from the the um, shampoo section of the supermarket yeah. um, you can buy them they're about a dollar a bag yeah. um, and then we use a mix of 70% uh, methylated spirits um, with 30% um, boiled or distilled water yeah. um, so boiled water is the best yeah. um, so say if you're making up a litre of that solution 700 mils of methylated spirits 300 mils of, of boiled water um, that's yeah. been cooled um, and you pour that over the, the alcohol wipes in a clean container uh, the alcohol uh, sorry, the cotton balls yep. um, in a container, um, and that does a much better job than any of the the teat wipes that you get with oh, so the that's dry interesting. It's therapy. actually better than in your experience. In than, my experience, yeah, it does yeah. a much better job of cleaning. And I was recently um, helping a farmer dry off some cows, and and he was pretty um, astounded by the difference too. Yeah. Um, just in in the cleaning efficacy of of using cotton balls. So, yeah, that's an yeah, interesting so that's practical tip. Practical tip there, yeah. Um, another question, Steph, that pops up quite a bit is, uh, should you teat seal your heifers, your in-calf heifers that, have, that haven't um, calved down, you know, just coming up to um, um, 
the point of calving at two years of age or whatever. Um, what are the parameters that you might decide to do that or not? I know it's a kind of a, a, a topic that divides a lot of people. Some farmers do it and some don't. Um, um, yeah, it's a really good one uh, question, Rue. So when we're talking about heifers, we're talking about our rising two-year-olds before they've had a lactation. Yeah. Uh, certainly there are a lot of farms in Gippsland that are um, putting teat sealant in before they calve. A um, couple of things to consider if it's right for you. Obviously, it's a, a one-on-one conversation with your own vet. Um, but one of the things to think about, if you are getting a high number of, of um, mastitis cases in your two-year-old heifers um, within the 14 days after calving, um, and by a high number, we, we use about five in 100 cases. 5%. So, 5%, yeah. yep. Um, if you're getting more than 5% um, mastitis in your heifers, then then teat sealant um, in the heifers yeah. is worth considering. Yep. Uh, if, if you don't, if you have very little calving time mastitis, um, then there's going to be very little advantage yeah. gained um, from using teat sealant. Yeah, and um, it would, you would never use antibiotics on those heifers, just no. teat sealant. Yeah, always. that's right. Yeah. So the an, in order for the antibiotics to work, um, they must have a functioning, um, uh, you know, lactating yeah. tissue up in the udder. Yeah. Um, so again, that comes back to... Um, you know, with the, the level of production, once the production drops right down, the, the functional tissue is yeah. not there for the antibiotic to work, and it's the same in, in lactating heifers. And actually, it's interesting you asked that, Rue, because um, that also relates to, to three-teated cows. Um, yeah. So they've got no functional lactating tissue in there, so there's nowhere for the dry cow therapy to work, so no need to put a tube um, yeah. in, in those blind teats of a three-teated cow. So you treat the three lactating quarters um, yeah. as per normal, but no treatment um, to be put into the three teated cows. And um, yeah. certainly you can run into problems with residues um, if, if antibiotics are put into that um, three teated yeah. cow because it doesn't um, it doesn't go you know move through the, yeah. the actual teat tissue um, like it would in a normal lactating um, quarter. So okay, yeah. uh, no treatment for the for the three teated cows okay. um, blind quarter. Well, uh, I think we've covered a lot there, Steph, and some really useful and relevant practical information uh, for farmers. So um, um, thank you very much uh, for your insights, and I know you've a bit, you're very busy, so I really appreciate your time, and um, thank you. No worries. Thanks, Rory. That was local Gibson vet, Dr. Stephanie Bullen, with some really interesting information. Next up, we have another vet, Dr. Joe Coombe of Dairy Australia, speaking about antimicrobial resistance. Joe manages the Animal Health, Welfare and Fertility program at Dairy Australia and has extensive experience in this area. I started off by asking Joe to explain what antimicrobial resistance is. Obviously, if you put it in a human health context, it's those kind of superbugs that we're having real difficulty with treating in humans. Yeah, and that is transferable from the food chain in an animal sense on into the humans as well. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's why there's this big interest in the area and also why, I guess... Um, the animal sector is coming under scrutiny because the World Health Organization see antibiotic resistance as a real major threat. Um, And of course, there's a a one health approach, which means it's the the animal sectors and the human health sectors are actually trying to work together to... Um, to improve these things yeah so i guess joe from a dairy farmer's point of view then you know historically and traditionally blanket dry cow therapy would have been an area where there would have been you know a pretty standard practice across the industry over the last couple of decades and but that's changing now as we move forward isn't that right yeah that's right um so that's sort of at least one example of where we may need to start addressing this problem um what i do want to say is that you know the dairy industry on the whole has a really good story to tell 
you know, we don't use antibiotics as growth promotants, never yeah. have, um, whereas some industries have in yeah. the past. Um, and we're very, very careful about how much we use because, yeah. of course, we can't afford to let antibiotics get in the milk. Yeah, yeah. So farmers are already really, really switched on to making sure they observe withholding periods. Um, producers, uh, processors are very, uh, you know, stringent about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So we've already got a lot of um, programs and measures set up to be stewards. When we yep. say stewardship, that means basically being smart and responsible yep. about how we use antibiotics. But obviously there's always scope for improvement. Yes. And that's where I guess pressure will come from organizations like the World Health Organization yep. for us to show that we're, all, we're always looking at how we can improve things. Yeah. Um, so certainly from my perspective, because I was a vet and because I really do care about animal welfare, yeah. I would never want to say we need to stop using antibiotics because yeah. if a cow is sick, we want to actually make sure that we can, uh, we can exactly. treat her. We want to treat her because that's the that's best right. welfare outcome in many cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, but it is those cases where, for example, blanket dry cow therapy you may not need to treat all the cows yeah. because some of them don't have anything wrong with them. Yeah. Um, their cell count's always been fine. Um, that may not be seen as prudent use of antibiotics in the future. Yeah. yeah. And in building on that, I guess, like I know you, you mentioned in Australia, we use a lot. We're already world leaders in terms of, you know, we don't use antibiotics as growth promoters or, or, other, um, or other uses. It's just for treatment of, of infections. But... Um, would you say that in other parts of the world they've already moved away from blanket dry cow therapy to what they call selective dry cow therapy where where cows are um where only certain cows in the herd are treated with with uh, as an example again um antibiotics that dry off yeah uh, i mean other countries have but i i, I do think we are as well i mean that yeah. you know there are a lot of um we we have a program which I'm sure many farmers are aware of, Countdown, yeah. which is the milk quality program run by Dairy Australia, um, and all our Countdown advisors are, are well trained in how to advise farmers on choosing selective dry cow therapy. Yeah, um, we run discussion modules on that, so um, drying off discussions. So um, we've already ha we do already have those those sort of systems in place. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's one thing that we do need to look at and maybe be a little bit more um, proactive in. Yeah. Um, but there are other ways on the farm that I think we can start to reduce our reliance on antibiotics. So what might those examples be then? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, if you want to stop needing antibiotics so much or using as many, um, the best way to do that is to have healthier animals. Yeah. So... Um, number one is to um, you know really be switched on to your particularly your calf health yeah you know so there are studies in certain countries where um, they've shown that if calves are treated with certain antibiotics there is a much much higher likelihood of um, for example e coli yeah that in the environment that's multi-drug resistant and these are these kind of bugs that we're really worried about yeah um, so that's the kind of thing where if the calves aren't needing to be treated yeah. because they're not all getting sick, yeah. then we're not going to have those issues to address in Australia so much. What about the um, example of just on that for a, a calf that might have a viral infection as opposed to a, a bacterial infection? I suspect that historically farmers would have just 
hit them with an antibiotic anyway, even though for, for, a, for a virus it's not really any use a lot of the antibiotics. That's right. That and I mean, that's exactly the same as, you know, when you go to the doctor with a yeah. cold yeah. and the doctor says, well, no, you're not getting antibiotics because yeah. it's a it's a viral, probably a yeah. viral infection. So again, you know, I, I wouldn't want people to start guessing and yeah. saying, well, I think this is viral. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. treat the animal. Um, and also, obviously, if, they're, um, if they are sick, they're still going to need anti-inflammatories or other course, measures. Yeah. Um, but I'd certainly be um, thinking twice about just injecting them for the, you know, just in case, those yes. kind of cases. Um, the other thing that's really hot, a hot topic is biosecurity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that is becoming a, a, a big topic of discussion, but also um, it's, it's going to become more and more a requirement that yeah. people can show that they're addressing biosecurity. Okay. But in terms of the antimicrobial stewardship, the other way is if you're not bringing sick animals into your herd because you've okay. got really good biosecurity measures, then you're less likely to need those antibiotics down the line, yeah. if you see what I mean. So, so it's really a kind of a, um, a joint approach where improved management should lead to a lower requirement for antibiotics in any case on the farm. Exactly. And, and that's what we're trying to promote and achieve. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even down to things like good nutrition. Yeah. You know, um, if, you're, if, the, if the cow's immune system exactly, is, yeah. is compromised, they're much more likely to get sick. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're healthy and they're well-fed and they're, you know, yeah. they're robust, then they're going to fight off infection themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And you won't obviously have the same need for, for those antibiotic uses. In terms of, you know, a lot of people might be curious about how... Uh, a particular uh, um, antibiotic resistance spreads through the food chain you know obviously we say that you know we don't want it, uh, traces of residues of antibiotics in the milk that goes down the track if there's is there a limit to the amount of antibiotic is there always a little bit that can go into milk I'm probably asking without knowing fully for sure is uh, you know is there a limit to what can be included is there, or is there a total? I mean, no I guess traces? that's that. Those kind of technical questions about limits are more um, the processes yeah. field because there are tests that the processes do, yeah. obviously, and everybody's aware of those. Um, but the real what people don't often understand about resistance is resistance happens when, for example, an antibiotic isn't used at a strong enough level. Yes. or for the correct period of time. So you know when a doctor gives you antibiotics, they say you must take it according to the label yeah. and you must finish the course. Yeah. That's yeah. why resistance happens because the bacteria, if, if there's only an, enough antibiotic um, to kill some of the bacteria, not of but not all of the bacteria, then they're more likely to develop resistance okay. because the ones that survive are going to, have, that have been exposed to that already. That's exactly and, uh, yeah, right. So yeah. that's where if you, um, you know, if you do use antibiotics, and that's again the stewardship or prudent use of antibiotics, yeah. is not just about how much we use, it's about how we use them. So it's about yeah. making sure that you really closely follow the label instructions. Yeah. You know, um, if, you, um, if you don't, then there's a risk that you may be promoting yeah. resistance in in the bacteria yeah and of course from a farmer's point of view now there are going to be there's a range of different herds and different cell counts herd cell counts across the whole country even out there and um, so there are some farms where you wouldn't promote selective 
dry cow therapy, exactly. for example. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean that's obviously going to be in consultation with your Which vet. Or, yeah. So, um, but um, it's the what it's the herds where if you know that um, you know you don't need to blanket treat them, then um, it's really going to be a good idea to start addressing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think that's really interesting. And as you said, it's probably a, a topic that's going to get more and more significance as the as the months and years pass, um, judging by what's happening elsewhere around the world. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. And I would, you know, the, the, the thing that I want to point out is that um, we're, we're certainly not trying to scare anyone and, and make them think that suddenly yeah. they're not going to be able to get antibiotics. There are certain anti- certain antibiotics that are, pose very little risk of resistance. Yeah. And even if drugs are resistant, and uh, sorry, bacteria are resistant, um, there may be other alternatives that can be used. Yeah. Um, but there are certain antibiotics that are they're, they're considered to be critically important for human health. Yes. And they're the ones that you know the doctors are reserving as like a last line of treatment for humans. Yeah. And that's the risk is that if we overuse those antibiotics or if we don't use those correctly, yeah, we could be promoting resistance in bugs that could the then population. yeah could cause real issues to yeah. humans and one of those one of those drugs is ceftiafur okay which is um from a family of it's called cephalosporins they're a family of drugs um where the third generation of that family are very very important for human health okay now the trade name of that of those um, antibiotics is um exonel accent exceed so they're all names that farmers would be that quite farmers familiar with. would be familiar yeah. with exactly. So they're not always familiar with Ceftiafur, yeah. but um, those trade names and of course the beauty of those drugs for farmers is there's no milk withholding period. Yeah. So they become um, a a safe option in terms of residues, yeah. but b also um, it means they don't have to withhold the milk. Um, yeah. So they're so, more likely to find their way into the food chain effectively. Then that's right. So. Yeah. Um, just and again, I'm not saying that we have to stop using XNL at this stage. Yes. But some countries have banned it already okay. um, from use in in the dairy industry, and um, it may certainly be that we're going to have to think a bit more carefully about how often or how we use it. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, that's um, that's really interesting, uh, Joe. I think that another thing you hear a lot, you know, I guess tossed about there and the. Uh, on the grapevine is that by 2050 in terms of this antimicrobial resistance stuff you hear people saying that by 2050 10 million people 10 million 10 million 10 million human lives will have been lost if we continue on at the same level of resistance that's being developed in in these antimicrobials is that actually the tri- the case and i think that's the number that's been modeled yeah yeah so they've done some modeling to, yeah. to look at that um and of course if we can change our practice now exactly we can change yeah. that yeah so um, and you know what I try to emphasize to everyone is um, whereas with a lot of um, changes in policies it's kind of um, I guess um, the powers that be are changing things for whatever yeah. agenda they've decided yeah this is actually really for the greater good yeah it's one of those things where we really need to all work together to try to um, to make a difference here so um, you know, as I say, without compromising the welfare of the of the animals. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, thank you very much, Joe. I think that was really informative and it's something that um, a lot of farmers will, I guess, identify with and and also uh, 
build a we'll certainly make sure we try and build awareness of this issue going forward. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Rory, thank for you, having me. Well, that's it for the third episode of Dairy Pod. I'd like to thank Steph Bullen and Joe Coombe for chatting with us, and thanks to all the listeners who have also offered such positive feedback on the podcast. We'll have another one out as soon as possible, so, so stay tuned to SoundCloud or subscribe in Apple Podcasts so they get sent straight to your phone. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>